Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there where we talk everything college hoops. Thanks to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up. Thank you for tuning in and carving out some time. We know that you could have been anywhere else on the dial, but you chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus. We appreciate that. Listeners, we got a little treat for you. Thankfully, John Gassaway of ESPN, Wall Street Journal, ESPN Insider, gave the podcast a few minutes to share some of his unbelievably intelligent thoughts of the sport that we love. A couple of topics that we covered. We covered uh, the FBI information release via Yahoo, metrics and, and stats and teams that John might have his eye on and maybe projecting what they might do in March. We even talked a couple of uh, player of the year type items. Um, if you don't follow John on Twitter, please do. He is at John Gassaway, capital J, capital G, of course. You can find his Tuesday Truths, which are many basketball writings, uh, online. And if you are not an ESPN insider, he is the reason to subscribe to that service, his writing alone. Uh, so we just want to say thank you to John for giving us a few minutes. We Listeners, we hope that you enjoy the conversation and we hope that you enjoy what Mike and I are trying to bring to you guys as we run up to March in our, you know, our favorite time of the year. If you like what you're listening to, please don't forget. Give us a little shout on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review. Leave a nice review, Mike, and I'll give you a little shout out and a little hoy on the podcast later on this week. You can follow the show at SDS Podcast on Twitter. Efficiency of keystrokes, of course. If you feel like getting in touch with the show via email, please do. SDSpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to interact with you that way if that is your mode of communication. So listeners, please enjoy the conversation we had with John Gassaway. He was so kind and generous with his time. Uh, cheers. Cilantro. Gratulatio. Arigato. Okay. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good evening. Screen the screener college basketball podcast listeners out there. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We have a special guest. We would like to thank John Gassaway of ESPN and other venues joining us. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Fantastic. John, I think we kind of need to start with the FBI release of news via Yahoo. We had a couple of talking points that we were ready to roll with, but I guess let's dive into that for a couple of minutes and, and give us your thoughts on the next move or what you know the NCAA can do moving forward or maybe some of the ramifications. I think obviously the first step is here. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of schools. And there's a lot of stats to go along with that on that spreadsheet. So I guess let's start the conversation with, um, do we need to re-examine amateurism? Uh, we have needed to do that for a while now. Yeah, uh, I think that it might have been 2010 when <laughs> John Gassaway, uh um, unloaded a, a few thousand words from his conscience under the title, The Trouble with Amateurism. And that dime has not been moved off of 
So uh, here we are in 2018 and uh, still still at the same old stand. And you asked about the next move, and I, I don't mean this to come off as, as flippant, but I think that what we will see, uh, speaking rather literally, is that we've, we've got an NCAA tournament to play here in a few weeks. And what will happen is um, this will get flung up uh, in the lead-in to that uh, in between Selection Sunday and that Thursday, the round of 64. And then incredible things will happen and we'll forget about it and we'll go as we were for the next two weekends. And then again, we'll have that long six-day pause between uh, the end of the Sweet 16 and the start of the Final Four. And we'll hear about it again from uh, large prestigious voices. And then we'll forget about it and it will go away for months. And then some things will be uh, retroactively invalidated and we'll hopefully move forward on your very good question of uh, revisiting the entire model itself. And this will play out over some time as these things always do. I think those are basically the next moves that are going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree that it's going to garner some more attention for the sport and the event that the sport is framed around each year. I, I believe that if there's going to be like a solution here and there's going to be a movement forward and some positive spin on this, it seems pretty easy that Maybe the NCAA should uh, visit into the Olympic model and then pay attention to some of the fair market value for these student athletes. Like just take a look at NBA rookie contracts that first year. And then, you know, after that contract runs out, they can have an Embiid like contract. And then take a look at the 1.4 billion in sales for this NCAA tournament that is coming up in just a couple of weeks. So it seems like some of that money needs to get distributed in different ways. I'm not looking for an answer from you, but it seems like there, there are answers there that people need to examine over a long-term process. I totally agree with you. And you hope that a positive spin can be put on our tournament uh, coming up pretty soon. And speaking of the tournament, you want to get into some real hoops here? Yeah, real hoops is uh, always good. Uh, this is the normal sequence for me on these uh, conversations. Start with the start with the FBI, moan and shake our heads, and then talk about basketball. So absolutely, let's do it. Can we just start with uh, one of the biggest upsets? Do you, did you get your eyes on the, the Drexel comeback down 34? <laughs> Um, I, you know, as a as a person uh, responsible for a multi thousand word uh, bubble feature that runs on Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, Thursday night is is difficult for watching two non bubble teams. I will say that I was watching uh, I was watching scoreboards and social media very carefully, even as I was uh, keeping one eye firmly trained on things like uh, UCLA, Utah, and that. Uh, that was incredible, and I did go to my handy uh, NCAA record book PDF uh, rather early in the evening and, and pulled up Duke Tulane from 1950, which, frankly, I had no reason to know before last night. Um, right. You know, that is the cool thing about this sport is that uh, with the capacity to have – it never literally happens, but we could have 175 games, you know, going on simultaneously um, – Something uh, aberrant and extreme uh, happens pretty frequently, <laughs> and uh, we saw that uh, to beat the band uh, last night with eight. I mean, the score was fifty-two to eighteen for anybody coming late to this, with like two minutes and change before halftime. 
and they and, come back and win. <laughs> so if, yeah, if that it, doesn't if that doesn't bring you back to uh, college basketball, uh, I, I doubt either of those schools are having trouble with the FBI. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what will. It's a, it's a great sport and uh, a really remarkable achievement. Yeah, that that's definitely the thing to celebrate about our sport. It's so improbable and unlikely. Right. Uh, that you're right. Any any night that this something like amazing like that can happen, our, our sport never disappoints. Congratulations to you know to Drexel Dragons. Yes. Um. Let Let's dive into a little bit of the numbers, a little bit of the teams, a little bit of the uh, stats that we can at least evaluate thus far this season. And thankfully, you've highlighted UVA's absolute, unbelievable, historic defense. Sequential question here: Just how great are the Cavs on the defensive end of the ball this particular season? And is that historic gap enough to ignore like that 40-ish number next to their name on the offensive side uh, via Ken Palm? So if people are filling out their brackets, are we using pencil or Sharpie when we're <laughs> deliberating with UVA? You know, um, we, we had a similar discussion, uh, you know, as far on the different stylistic polls you can get one year ago that we're, asked, that we're rightfully asking about UVA now. And it was with UCLA, only, of course, it was flipped. Oh, they've got an incredible offense with Lonzo Ball. But, boy, that, that defense and that Kempom ranking for their defense is really worrisome. So it's a good question. It's an annual question. Um, I'm always a little, uh, I don't know, weird, different, aberrant. Uh, I don't really worry about how you achieve your healthy scoring margin as long as you do achieve it. So, obviously... Uh, Virginia gets it done by uh, prohibiting the other team from scoring. Their offense is, you know, still good. Or I might say it's it's uh, it's above average in ACC terms. Um, it's better than some other teams, or better than or equal to uh, some other teams we credit as having good offenses. We generally understand in-state in-state rival Virginia Tech, for example to be a great shooting team, which they are. Virginia and Virginia Tech thus far in ACC play have been exactly identical on offense, and, and nobody yells at, at the Hokies for their offense. So, um, you know, it's good. It's above average. It's just that placed uh, side by side with the best offenses in the country, one of which is, you know, league member Duke or increasingly <laughs> league member North Carolina. It, it's, plainly right. a, it's plainly a, a very different quantity. And so uh, we worry about it. But again, uh, at the end of the day, this is the best scoring margin in the ACC. And they have achieved it with a slightly above average offense and one of the best defenses we've ever seen. So uh, it, it will be according to your taste whether you, you trust that scoring margin. But make no mistake, it is, uh, it is vast. Really, the, it comes down to what do you prefer? Do you prefer an IPA? Do you prefer a stout? Do you prefer a sour? Right. So it depends on what you're looking at. I, I think that makes sense. Your words also tell us that Villanova is scoring at like an all-time rate, even compared to last year when they were making twos and the year before when they were making twos at an unbelievable rate. And they're doing it in like the score-happy Big East. So I guess just share your thoughts on Nova's efficiency on the offense of this end uh, this year with Booth back in the fold. And what makes them so tough to defend shooting twos and, in this case, shooting threes? They are doing it in the score-happy Big East, but they did it in the score-happy uh, Big East in 2016. And uh, that result turned out well. They did score uh, incredibly well in five of their six 
tournament games, and in the sixth one, perhaps even more impressively, uh, they they won a rock fight against Kansas. So I mean, it's it's tough to uh, say I don't believe it just because of where it's it's coming from because we've seen it work before two years before uh that doesn't mean that they're going to win the national championship all teams but one will not but uh they've uh, give jay wright credit they've they they keep uh tweaking and developing and uh they they got the memo on two pointers as you say and they they only shoot smart ones for the most part and that leads to that really leads to a good percentage their new thing, or maybe not so new, but I mean, their their frequent thing, if you've been watching Villanova games lately, is that they love um, perhaps stealing a bit of a page from uh, Bo Ryan era Wisconsin. They love taking Jalen Brunson and posting him up on some uh, hapless opposing point guard who's never been defending in the paint before, and then he just <laughs> does his move over either shoulder, and there's another two-point make, so... They are doing it again, and the new thing this year, as I've alluded to uh, in a, in a, on a couple of occasions, is their turnover rate is lower than ever, and their offensive rebound rate is just normal, just average. But when you put microscopic turnover rate together with average offensive rebound, then that is a ton of attempts, and they are up there almost on the same bleachers as North Carolina, which, of course, gets it done in a very different way by crashing the offensive glass. So. Great shooting, great volume. That'll work, and uh, this could be the best uh, offense uh, we have seen yet from Villanova, and that's saying something. Yeah, which is kind of staggering considering their historic run the past couple of years being unbelievably efficient on the offensive end. Uh, John, do you mind if we stay inside the Big East and talk a little Xavier? Are they playing a little too close to comfort, or are all those close wins – defining team characteristic moving forward where they can win any style of game. How do you view Xavier as a team that could possibly have similar success to Villanova? Well, you know, I tend to be a skeptic of, of clutchness and in close game uh, ability, but I think it's important mm-hmm. to make the, <laughs> the opposite argument to what uh, John Gassaway, the analytics type might say is that if you're winning a lot of close <laughs> right. games, if you're winning a lot of close games, the good news is you're in a lot of close games and you're not, you know, you're not on the losing end, uh, meaning you're not getting uh, teams aren't beating you by eight or 10 or 12. Every game you are competitive. And one of the points I liked making about Virginia maybe a couple of years ago was that they were never not, you know, competitive after the last TV timeout. They went into every under four timeout with a chance to win the game. That was a bouquet I was throwing at the time at the Cavaliers. You can say the same thing about Xavier. And yeah, you'd rather see a Villanova-type scoring margin. Um, Xavier's is like about one-third, even one-fourth the size of Villanova. So uh, if you give this question any laptop, the laptop will resoundingly say, you know, run full speed away from Xavier and toward Villanova. Okay. But yeah. This is a uh, team that gets it done in unsexy ways, except for obviously Trevon Blewett uh, having a great season, particularly from beyond the arc. Uh, the things that Villanova, uh, Villanova excuse me, Xavier does uh, tend to get lost in real time. And with other teams, uh, I praise those things. So I can say, you know, good on you, Xavier, for shooting way, way more free throws uh, than your opponents, and particularly for not fouling. 
and uh, great defensive rebounding, which is is the core of a better than average defense. So all those things plus blew it, and they are in a lot of games. They're going to get a seed that doesn't necessarily measure up with the level of performance I'm talking about. But again, they have earned that by winning those games, and that's all you can ask of any team. You recently tweeted about uh, Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings, and Jacques Landell is atop those rankings. Now, he may be an All-American, but I can't possibly see him being the National Player of the Year. In January, favor Trey Young still as a top your top 25 players in the sport. Is your mind bending a little bit on this? Where is your current flavor for National Player of the Year? Right. My mind is bending in the sense, and I think maybe at the time I sent out that screen cap, uh, Trey Young was still number one. Uh, these these things uh, flex by game by game. Um, right. But my mind is bending in the direction of a movie lover when there's a bad crop of choices for Best Picture Oscar. Uh, and no offense against uh, any of these players, uh, plus some other usual suspects like the aforementioned Jalen Brunson. I mean, obviously, uh, terrific players who make their teams measurably better but uh we've just maybe we've had an embarrassment of riches lately you know maybe i'm looking for that buddy healed figure uh apropos where trey young is playing where we just all you know slap our hands down and say yep that's it this thing is decided which by the way usually we've done long before this time of year um it it could and should add suspense to a to a fun postseason that we haven't done that. And we're saying, hey, you know, this, this could come down to NCAA tournament performance. We, we don't often do that. But um, <laughs> kind of in the same vein as uh, everything we say about the national championship race, uh, no great teams, uh, no clear favorite uh, for the Wooden Award. I, I think that still uh, it's, it's a Trey Young or Jalen Brunson kind of decision. And historically, those tend to go heavily in favor of the veteran player who is a who True. seems to be who seems to be a model citizen on the much better team. Uh, I know if I were a handicapper, which of those I would take, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's that's the correct choice. And I'm, I'm not saying it is. Uh, wide open race, though. Yeah, I totally agree, and absolutely great point. We've got totally gotten spoiled by the success of uh, Frank Mason or even Caleb Swan again. You know, Josh Hart, like players along those lines where you just knew what you were going to get every night. You knew it was going to be high level and you knew they were going to be uber efficient on both sides. So, yeah, you feel like with the volatility of play with Trey Young and a number of the other candidates that you mentioned, yeah, you just want a little consistency. We got spoiled with consistency. How about uh, the Big Ten? They contain two of the top teams in the nation, Michigan State and Purdue. Uh, both of those teams have unbelievable combination of offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency numbers. Uh, and when you like marry those two things together, usually it equals more success. Uh, think UNC, think Nova, think Kentucky 2015. Is Michigan State's unique turnover issue a, a problem? And maybe is Purdue in the Xavier boat where they played a number of close games here and you're not having the margin that you'd prefer? Yeah, the Xavier boat. I like that. Uh, yeah, uh, Purdue does look less enticing than they did a, a couple of weeks ago. They they were much more uh, of the bandwagon material when they had what was it like nineteen straight, eighteen straight? It was it was an incredible number. Um, yeah, they ran off a ton. Yeah. So uh, and you know the la as you say, and even the last 
uh, two wins against, um, you know, Penn State and Illinois. I mean, one of those teams definitely will not make the state tournament. The other might not. Uh, both single-digit uh, contests. So a little less juggernaut uh, quality, to be fair. They're missing Vincent Edwards. That's, that is a big absence, definitely. And maybe they will get that back. So um, I understand what people like about, you know, the balance of elite on offensive and defensive efficiency. But if you're looking for the really uh, safe, calming choice, I'm just not sure it's out there in 2018 for the reasons that, you know, we've just rehearsed here with Purdue, but also with Michigan State, the the turnover uh, issue is not so much, you know, this means they're doomed or this makes them a bad team. It just means uh, the opportunity cost here is significant if they didn't have this one little, <laughs> relatively little feature, I, I think it's fair to call it, um, then, you know, at least speaking for my own part, I would be jumping with both feet on the Michigan State bandwagon saying, yep, you know, this mm. is this is the one because uh, on possessions where uh, Michigan State doesn't commit a turnover and the opponent doesn't either, they are clearly the best team uh, in the country or at least in major conference play so far this season. Uh, the problem as you allude to, is that uh, Michigan State has the lowest opponent turnover rate that we have seen in the last five years in major conference play. And um, it means that bottom line, the defense that our eyes just absolutely adore and are, are, are awed by and are right to be because opponents have a terrible time making, a two, making twos against Jaron Jackson and Nick Ward and company. Um, they don't get as much benefit as our eyes expect them to from all of that shot altering. Uh, this defense has only been about as good as Ohio State's or Purdue's or even Indiana's in Big Ten play, and that mm. just doesn't that just doesn't compute visually. We know this defense is better. Um, I heard my colleague Seth Greenberg last night during a, a very dull blowout involving UConn and Cincinnati going for a solid twelve minutes about how clearly Michigan State is a number one seed. And again, yeah. our our optic nerves agree wholeheartedly with that. But uh, the bottom line is they're just not getting that level of output from their defense that we would expect. And uh, they, they turn the ball over a fair share, but it's not nearly as extreme as uh, the deficit we're seeing on defense. They turn it over a fair share on offense. And uh, the result is by far the most significant uh, turnover disadvantage of any national contender that you're going to be talking about and it's it's definitely worth coming you know keeping an eye on going forward and it most certainly uh explains the sensation that you have when you watch a michigan state game yeah i feel like it has to be part of your decision making equation when you're filling out a bracket or trying to figure uh you know project project success for the spartans uh john let's get you out of here on this one um with all of your viewing um all of the metrics catalog thus far this season is there a team or two that is particularly uncommon in their profile that might sneak up on a couple of people when projecting success in March that like we might miss that you somehow have isolated and been like, hmm, this is intriguing. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm pulling for St. John's to win the Big East uh, tournament and get the auto bid because uh, relative to your point, they're the they're one of the strangest uh, team profiles. I've I've ever seen uh, Chris Mullen chooses to severely uh, de-emphasize offensive rebounds, which of course is is quite normal in our sport uh, at the college level. But uh, 
every time you see that, it's from a perimeter-oriented team, which uh, the Johnnies are not. So it, it's almost like, um, I don't know if he's bringing the NBA sensibility where they, they really don't like offensive boards to a college setting, but uh, I, w- I would love to see that in action in the brackets. But since that's probably not going to happen um, after a, a close win, against uh, on the road against San Diego last night. So, you know, I'm not just uh, taking the flavor of the day here because they didn't look all that great. Um, I'm intrigued right. by what I'm, I'm intrigued by what I'm seeing uh, body of work wise with Gonzaga this season. And the thing that people will miss because they say, yeah, Gonzaga, I get it. They make the tournament every year. Um, they, they dominate the West Coast Conference every year. Uh, this is not your Shemek, Karnowski, Zach Collins, uh, Gonzaga. <laughs> they they, uh, they shoot threes now, which they kind of uh, – they, they still don't shoot a lot of threes. But, I mean, relative to what they were doing in the past, they, they shoot more. And a great offensive team uh, definitely have taken a step back from the, the Zach Collins-level rim defense of, of last year. But uh, what a – what a what a pleasure to watch uh, a team that can score and now does score from from both sides of the arc. And if you haven't seen him, uh, listeners, Rui Hachimura, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, <laughs> Zach Collins of this year, even though they're very different. Uh, he does come off the bench, however, and might be the best uh, player on the team, kind of like Collins last year. So I am intrigued by a, a Zags team that although they're ranked in the top 10 nationally, nobody is kind of talking about and look forward to seeing what they can get done in the tournament. Wow. Uh, thank you, John. That is, uh, we're so glad to hear you say and agree with uh, Gonzaga. Uh, my partner, Mike, and I have been uh, on the Gonzaga bandwagon for a while. And I, I agree the, the lineup that they had out last night with uh, Rui and Tilly and Jonathan Williams playing together gives them a lot of versatility. They can play big. They can bring Norvell off the bench. I, I totally agree. I, I'm very intrigued by them as well. And I think they're going to sneak up on a couple of people. Listeners out there, if you are not following John Gassaway or doing yourself a disservice as a college basketball fan, please do so on Twitter at John Gassaway, capital J, capital G. Uh, and you can always find John's writings on ESPN, ESPN Insider. Uh, He even does some stuff for the Wall Street Journal. And please check out his Tuesday Truths online. So, John, thank you for giving the podcast a couple of minutes. Uh, Enjoy the weekend and uh, enjoy the next game you stay up late for to watch, uh, like the Gonzaga game. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.